I'm looking forward to tonight. Tonight we are starting a series in the book of James. And so uh, I'm glad that y'all are here. I'm glad that uh, we get to be a part and, and, and uh, get to learn and grow together. And so what I want to do, I encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to skip over to verse 12, because uh, I believe it's a connected theme there. But we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then jump to verse 12. And this is what James says. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now jump to verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Amen. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this night. And God, I pray that you would just speak to us tonight in a way that only you can. Lord, as we read your word, as we try to learn and glean from your word, Father, that you would uh, just reveal it to us in a way that we've maybe never seen it before. And God, I pray that you would use me tonight. God, you know all the studying that's gone on. You know all the preparation that's taken place. But Father, if there's anything that I don't need to say, Lord, you would, I pray that you would help me not say it. And God, if there's something new you want to give me, Lord, let me be free and available to speak, for you to speak through me. Lord, pour into me so I can be poured out. And Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Um, So tonight we're going to be talking about testings and trials. Uh, I don't know about you, but I think this is probably a topic everyone can relate to. Uh, I don't know. Has anybody in here ever been tested before? Anybody in here gone through some trials in life? Uh, I believe this is applicable to every person in this room, out there at Fairview. I think this is applicable to everyone. And, and one thing that I found really interesting, uh, jewelers, to test the authenticity of a diamond, to see if it's real or not, they will take that diamond and they will drop it in water. And, that, and when it's in the water, it will begin to shine and, and begin to radiate. It's, it just kind of comes alive in the water. Now, if you take an imitation stone and you drop it in the water, it doesn't do that. And now I see I'm, there's probably going to be some wives going home. <laughs> <laughs> dropping some jewelry in some water to find out if their husband cheaped out on them or not. But what jewelers would do, they can do that, and they can drop two different that look identical. They drop them into the water, and even an untrained eye can tell the difference between the real and the fake. And so what I think is very similar is oftentimes the world can notice the difference between a genuine Christian and someone who simply just proclaims to be one. I believe it's evident by, most importantly, how they undergo circumstances. The circumstances in life will reveal what's really in them. And, and so Christians are able to tell a difference, the world is able to tell a difference between a real Christian and a faker, an imposter. Yes. And so the purpose of the letter that James is writing is really, he's trying to help us find out, do we have genuine faith? Like, do we really have what we say we have? And in, in, in verses 1 through 4, he's really using this as a way to help us understand how trials can help us understand, do we really possess real faith? And, and I think this is important. I think it's important for the believers, but more importantly for the unbelievers. Because there's people who've been in church their whole life, 
who've convinced themselves that they're saved when in fact they are not. And then they're convinced themselves that, hey, I've got it when really and truly they're not. And so what this, what this book is going to tell us is that, hey, real faith can endure trials. Real faith can endure temptations. And so if your faith is only reliable when things are going good, then that is a shallow faith. And what's more worrisome is if that's the depth of your faith, then that faith is not going to be reliable to you when trials come. And most importantly, that faith is not going to get you into heaven either. It's, it's a very shallow, it's not based on anything other than emotions and feelings. And so what James is trying to tell, tell us and teach us is that faith that is simply based on emotion or maybe a, a prayer you said years ago at VBS or whatever it might be. Listen, that, that faith that is not based on divine truth and conviction, it will burn up in the fire of furnace of trials. And so a faith that, cannot, a faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. And that's what James is trying to help us understand in these verses that, listen, the trying of your faith is what helps you understand, do you have real faith? A faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. And so what happens? For years, maybe days, our lives are good. Sunny days, man, rainbows and sunshine everywhere. And, and here we hear the trials of other people. We hear what they're going through and we think, Lord, be with them, but thank you it's not me. And then one day disaster knocks on their door. And what then? And so what we find in churches a lot of times are people who have fair weather faith. You ever heard of a fair weather fan? It's the fan that, man, they root for their team when they're winning. But when that team starts losing, they start getting quiet. And what we find in churches a lot of times today is we have fair weather faith. That when everything's good... Man, they're good. But little, let a little rain come, and they crumble. Little, let a little adversity come, and they snap. Their faith is just very shallow and weak. And they think, well, as long as God's will runs parallel to my will, we're good. But the moment God's will intersects my will, then they retreat. And they run. And they get discouraged. And in a faith in which God is looking for is a faith that will be strong in the good times and the bad times. That's the faith that God is looking for. The kind of faith that we still hold firm to him even when we can't even feel him. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life, difficulties in my life, when I couldn't even feel the presence of God. And sometimes it's hard to stand firm when you don't even feel his presence. But that's the kind of faith he's looking for. He's looking for that kind of faith that, God, we don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to trust you through it. And it's always amazed me when I've seen people who proclaim to be strong in the faith. When something bad happens, they disappear. And they run away. And I want to shake them. I want to grab them. I want to ask, if you're not running to God, then where else are you running to? Like, where are you going? I mean, don't change ships in the middle of the storm. Like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And so if, if when you're in sunshine of life, you have faith, that's great. But when you're in the darkness, that's when you need faith. Because sometimes you don't have nothing else. You have nothing else. 
When everything begins to crumble, you just got to hold on to that faith. And listen, I understand. Listen, I understand. I've been there. I know when difficulty strikes out of nowhere, there is an initial shock. I mean, you feel you feel numb. You feel kind of vulnerable. You feel a little detached from the world. Maybe maybe feel angry. You might feel some bitterness. You might feel nothing at all. And I know there's an initial shock that comes. But I want you to know what James says. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Here's what I want you to do. This might be a little weird for some of you. I want you to do this at Fairview too. For just a second, as awkward as this might be, I want you to just take a moment, look around. Make eye contact with somebody next to you, behind you, across the room from you. I, just, I want you to look around for a second. Just look at some people you've never looked at. All right, y'all doing that? Good. Now, now, here's what I've heard, and I believe this. Everybody in here, everybody at Fairview, you fall into one of three categories. You're somebody who's currently in a storm. You're somebody who's just come out of a storm. Or you're somebody who's about to go into a storm. And so what you just did is, in this room, you may have made eye contact with somebody who's in the deepest struggle of their life right now. Like, they are, they are, they are fighting right now. Now, they put on their church face, right, because that's what we do. We come to church, and we pretend like we have everything together. We pretend like everything's going great. But really and truly, man, they're going through the toughest time of their life. And then there's somebody you might have looked at in this room that they just come out of the hardest time of their life. Man, they're still, co- they're still toting around the battle wounds of the war they've been through. Man, they're still emotionally fragile. They're, they're, still, they're still physically exhausted from everything that they've just been through. And so there's some people in this room out there at Fairview. Man, you just come out of something. And there's others in this room. Life is good right now. Everything's great. But you don't know what tomorrow holds. And so James is dealing with us. Because he knows we're all going to come in contact with difficulties. And, and, and the important thing is to know, how does this affect me? And, and really and truly, if we, if we believe that there's people who've gone through some things, that are in some things, or are about to go through some things, then I think that should affect how we treat people too, right? Like this is a sidebar thing, but, but we should issue a little bit more grace to people because we have no idea what they're going through. You know, ever, ever just been treated rudely by somebody and first, your first reaction is, ah, oh, just, but what if we just pause for a moment and we say, God, I don't know what they're going through, but just help them. Because truly, if we're all been through something in something or about to go into something, then we should be a little bit more graceful in how we treat people and respond to people. And I, I know, I know there's some so-called preachers out there. They have thousands of members in their church, and they sell millions of books, and they'll talk about, hey, just come to Jesus. If you come to Jesus, man, he'll make you healthy, he'll make you wealthy, man, he'll give you a prosperous life, you'll have a garage full of cars, you'll have more money in your account, man, everything will be great. And I just want to say, I don't think there's any preacher that can preach with, a, with any ounce of biblical integrity that can read this Bible and preach that kind of gospel. Because this Bible is filled with people who've gone through some stuff, who've gone through trials and difficulties in their life. And so I'm sorry if you, you have this understanding that, well, coming to Jesus is going to make everything better. That's just not true. 
It doesn't make all the circumstances all of a sudden go away, but we do have hope in the circumstance. And, and I want you to understand tonight, I want you to have some hope. Even James, the author, Jesus' half-brother, the one who penned the epistle of James, even he understood what it meant to have various trials and, and temptations in his life. Church historians have found that, that, that there's evidence that James was taken to the top of the temple and then thrown down to the ground and then beaten to death with clubs because of his faith. I, I believe James knew what he was talking about when he says, when you fall into temptations. He didn't say if. He says when. It's coming. It's coming. He says, when you fall into diverse temptations. And he says the word fall there. I love my daughter. She is the apple of my eye. I love her. But she is the most accident prone person I have ever met in my life. And if you've seen my daughter, you know exactly what I'm talking about because she's either in a boot or on a knee scooter. I mean, she's constantly broken. And, 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 and it happens in the craziest of ways. She broke her wrist throwing a dog toy. I don't know. She broke her foot serving a volleyball. I didn't even know that was possible. I mean, she's doing things. I'm like, how did you even? So there was a time when she was outside running to the four-wheeler because she was trying to beat her brother to it. You know, and they're in a foot race to the four-wheeler. Who's going to get there first? And out of nowhere, my little girl steps in a hole and she falls. Wham! And breaks the top of her foot. And so she's back in a boot. Listen, <laughs> we had went to Disney World one time. And she was in a boot when we got there. And she had just been taken out. I mean, the very first day we got there was the final day she could stay in the boot. And we finally took it off of her foot. That night, she falls off the bed and breaks the other foot. <laughs> All right. So when I'm thinking about this. When, when James is saying you're going to fall into diverse temptations, I believe what he's saying is like, you know, life is going to be good. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, wham, it hits you. He says you're going to be falling into diverse temptations. But then he says, count it all joy. Now, I don't know about you. That's hard. Count it all joy. God, this don't feel very joyful right now. This don't feel good. I mean, we, what do you mean, count it all joy? Look what he says in verse 2 and 3. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Then he says this, circle this, underline this. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, James says you can count it all joy because you know something. Now, as believers in Christ, we have some inside information. We, we, we know something. And things may look a little out of control right now. Things may look a little unpredictable right now. Things might look a little uncomfortable right now. But James says, we know something. And, and this word he's u- using here, this, this word is a Greek word, which means it implies a personal relationship. It implies knowledge gained through relationship. It implies knowledge gained through experience. And so what James is really saying is, says, hey, you're in the midst of your difficulty, but you can choose joy because you don't just know something. You know somebody. That's what he's saying. He's implying there is a relationship there that is going to be able to help us 
encounter whatever circumstance it is with joy. Why can we have joy in the middle of our circumstance? Because in the middle of the fire, we know there's another one in there with us. Why can we experience joy in the middle of our circumstance? Because when we're sinking beneath the water, there's a hand outstretched to pick us up again. He's implying there is a relationship. John 14, 18, he says this. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And what I have come to understand in my life is there's times, there's times I may not know and and feel God's hand, but I know I can trust his heart. I can trust his heart. Why? Because I know him. Because I have a relationship with him. Because he's never left me, left me down. He's never forsaken me. Even though I may not feel his hand, I can trust his heart. In Psalm 34, 18. Psalm 34, 18. He says, the Lord is nigh. That means close. He's close. He's, he's nigh unto them that are a broken heart. And saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. That word contrite means destroyed. A destroyed spirit. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Now, why, why could David write these words? Because he's been through it. He knows firsthand. David knew what it was like to have a broken heart. David knew what it was like to have a destroyed spirit. He says, in the middle of my trial, in the middle of my brokenness, God came close. And when God came close, he delivered me out of them. And so James is saying to us, hey, even in the worst troubles, you can still have joy. You can still have joy. C.S. Lewis, I like what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our comfort, but he shouts in our pain. He says, pain is the megaphone that God uses. I I can't tell you how many times that God has spoken so clearly to me in my difficulties. Why, Why is that so? Well, because when we encounter difficulties, all of a sudden our prayer life picks up a little bit sometimes, don't it? Like all of a sudden we start praying like we should have been praying. Or maybe sometimes we, we, we start getting a little bit more sensitive to his presence. We get a little bit more sensitive to his voice. We get more sensitive to his grace, more sensitive to his love. Maybe you start reading his word because you're just looking for encouragement. His voice gets a little louder during the difficulties in our life. In each one of those ways, your joy begins to increase. Why? Because you're spending time with God. Psalm, uh, Psalm 1611 says, In the presence of Christ is fullness of joy. In the presence, in thy presence is fullness of joy. You want to find joy? You want to be able to count it all joy in your difficulties? Get close to God. And I began to think about how all the times in my life I've gone through difficulties and trials. And I've realized those are some of the greatest faith growing moments in my life. Anybody who can look back at difficulties in their life can, can tell you, man, I grew during that time. Like, I experienced God in a way I've never experienced Him before during that time. And so what I want to do, I want to first of all talk about my point number one, which is the purpose of trials. The purpose of trials. There is a purpose. Letter A, we find that trials expose weakness in our faith. Trials will expose weakness in our faith. When we, when we encounter trials and difficult circumstances, what it does is it begins to make us take a spiritual inventory of our faith. If you become bitter, 
If you become resentful, if you become angry, if you become emotional during that time, what it's doing is it's beginning to show you weaknesses in your faith. There are many times in the Bible where God will test people's faith. Uh, Look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. It says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. And look what he says, That I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. He says, this is a test. I'm going to test them if they're going to walk with me or not. He told King Hezekiah, look at in 2 Chronicles 32, 31. He says, How be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land? He says that God left him. He's talking about Hezekiah. God left him alone to try him. Why? That he might know all that was in his heart. See, God is omniscient. He knew it was in Hezekiah's heart. But this whole trying was for Hezekiah to come to realize and know what was in his heart. And so the testing of our faith will oftentimes expose weaknesses in our faith. It will bring things up to the surface that we need to deal with. See, God, here, listen, after questioning God, Job went through some stuff. We're going to talk a lot about Job tonight, but Job went through some stuff. And Job was very, very discouraged. And he began to question God's goodness and began to question why this was happening. And then he come to kind of a resolution in Job 42, verse 5 and 6. He says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor, it means to reject myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. He says, God, I thought I knew you before, but I know you now, and I repent. What did that trial do? It exposed some things in Job's life. Think about this, a steel mill worker. When they're, when they're working with that molten steel, there's stuff that rises to the top. That, that, that is, it's impurities in that metal. It rises to the top. And they'll begin to scoop that stuff off. It's called slag. They'll begin to scoop all those impurities off. And that's what trials do. As trials and difficulties come in our life, everything that's impure, that's not of God, begins to rise to the top. And God is now able to deal with that in our life. The testing of our faith will now allow us to deal with some weaknesses in our faith. So during difficulties, anything that's a weakness, anything that's bitterness, resentment, anger, anything like that, God will begin to deal with. Now look at letter B. Letter B. Trials will enable us to learn more about God. Help us learn more about God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.1, he says, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you always that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Now, I, I want to talk about this because we have a tendency in our life to take things that God gives us in vain. We take them for granted, in other words. We are all blessed. We are. We are blessed people. And it's very easy for us to take those things for granted. There was a challenge I used to give to our kids every morning. I would have them tell me five things they were thankful for, but it couldn't be anything they, repeat, they repeated from the day before. Now, it had to be brand new five things. They couldn't repeat anything they've already said. And the reason I was doing that is I wanted to, I wanted to instill in them an attitude of thankfulness because uh, they just take things for granted. You know, they have a house, they have clothes, they have electricity, they have all this stuff, and it's easy to take that kind of stuff for granted. But even the very breath that is in your lungs is a blessing from God. It is grace from God given to you. Your beating heart is grace from God, a blessing from God given to you. And there's a temptation to take that for granted. There's a temptation to take things from God for granted. 
But even on the flip side of that, there is a temptation to take the trials we go through for granted. And you might be thinking, oh, how do I take that for granted? Because you go through it. You go through the hardship, you go through the difficulties, you go through the pain, you make it to the end, you you finally persevere, you make it to the other side, and you realize you learn nothing. You learn nothing. There is always a lesson to be learned in the difficulties of life. And if you go through difficulties of life and you didn't learn anything from it, then you have taken that opportunity for granted. And so these difficulties give us an opportunity to learn more about God. God wants to use our our problems as a platform to display his power. Now, if if you don't give him that opportunity to use your problems as a platform, then you go through it by yourself and you learn nothing. I think about what happened in Mark chapter 4. Pastor Malcolm's preached on this particular set of scripture. I think I've preached on this before. But I I want us to read it together in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. He says, the same day, even when the evening was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over on the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And in verse 41, this is the verse I want to hone in on here. He says, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now these are the disciples. Like, this is his crew. These disciples had seen Jesus cast out demons. These disciples had seen Jesus raise the dead. These disciples had seen Jesus bring sight to a blind man. These, these demons had seen Jesus heal the sick. The, 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 uh, these, disciples, these disciples had seen Jesus feed thousands of people with a little boy's lunchbox. And out of all of that, it was in the middle of the storm... When they were fearing for their lives, they were thinking, we're not going to make it through this. This is too hard. We're, we're not, this is the end. This is going to be impossible. They wake up Jesus and say, don't you care? We're about to die. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and everything goes calm. And it's in that moment that they say in verse 41 that they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What was happening? It was the storm of their life that enabled them to see the power of Jesus in a way they've never seen it displayed before. Do you understand that your problems, your difficulties, your unforeseen circumstances are an opportunity for God to use a platform to put his power on a display that you've never seen it happen before? I mean, you're going to learn so much during that time. That's why we can say we can count it all joy. Why? Because this is an opportunity for God to show off. This is an opportunity for God to do something big in a way he's never done it in your life before. And he will deliver. He will deliver. So we need to learn something through our trials. Look at letter C. Trials enable us to help others. I've said it before and I, I truly believe this. I think the most powerful words in the human language are the words, me too. 
It's just something about being able to share in an experience with somebody who you've been through the same stuff before. There's just something about being able to relate to someone in that way. If, if you were able to relate with somebody in their struggles, man, you've made a, you made a friend for life. You know, I've, I've never lost a child. So I can't relate to someone who has. I can, I can feel sympathetic for them. I, I can be present for them, but I can't relate to them. But someone else who has lost a child who knows what that feels like has a connection with them that I never could has a way to minister to them in a way I never could. Because they're able to say, me too. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, who comforted us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. Amen. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. He's saying, hey, you've been through that. So now you can help others get through that. You have a ministry now to other people who've been through similar walks as you. This is something that's so powerful about shared experiences that we get to relate to each other. I I talk about all the time about how thankful and grateful I am for the the lessons we got to learn last year during Tracy's cancer treatments. I mean, we have been able to reach more people and minister to more people than we ever have before. It has brought connections and opportunities that we never had before last year. But because of what she's been through, we now have connections with people all over the world. There's people literally that stopped her in the parking lot the other day, uh, like two days ago, stopped her in the parking lot, knocked on her window, and it was a lady and said, Hey, you don't know who I am, but I know who you are. I followed your story on Facebook, and I want you to know. That your story has given me strength. And I wanted to give up, but I didn't because I thought if you can do it, I can do it. I mean, that just opened up so many opportunities to be able to minister to people. I I, I think that's amazing. The other day I was at Walmart. And I ran into somebody I hadn't seen in years. And we began to talk and they're asking me about how Tracy's doing. And I'm sharing good news with them. I'm like, Tracy's doing great. I didn't know they were going through something too. And, And we just started talking about what God helped me with and how God spoke to me during that time. I shared with them, I said, you know, during that time, I asked a lot of why questions. A lot of why questions. I mean, if you've met my wife, if you know my wife, I mean, she is the sweetest lady you ever meet. I mean, salt of the earth. I mean, I way outpunted my coverage. I mean, I don't, I did good. I did good. She's sweet. She's pretty. She's a compassionate person. And and I used, I asked that question a lot, like, God, why her? I could understand me, but why her? And I struggled. I asked a lot of why questions. And then I come to a place one day where I realized God doesn't always answer my why questions, but God will answer my how questions. And so I quit asking God why, and I just started asking God how. God, how can I use this for your glory? God, how can I use this for your kingdom? God, how can I use this as a platform for your goodness? I don't, I don't know why this is happening, but God, help me understand how. And I'm sharing this with this person in Walmart, and her whole countenance changed. And she said, you don't know how bad I needed to hear that right now. And she began to talk about some stuff she's going through. She says, you know, I've been asking a lot of why questions, but I feel like I need to start asking some how questions. I'm telling you, your, your trials will give you opportunities to minister to people in ways that you've never had been before. The, the, the highest blessings will come from the deepest sorrows. Tracy's doctor, he's a... Uh, 
Hindu background. And he knew we were people of faith. We, we didn't hide it. Man, we put it on display. We prayed for everybody. And uh, we, we made our faith a big deal. And he was a great, great man. Great man. And, and Tracy went to a, her one-year checkup uh, in March. And uh, he walked in the room. I wasn't able to go because I was sick. And I, I thought, last place I need to be when I'm sick is at a, a cancer ward. So uh, I stayed home. And the doctor walks in. He sees Tracy sitting alone, which, by the way, from the time she was in there to the time she got out, she was hardly ever alone. I was always there with her. And so I've always got to see the doctor and talk with him. But he walks in the door and looks around. He says, where is your preacher husband? <laughs> and and he, she says, well, he's sick. He didn't want to come and expose some people. And he says, well, can you tell him something for me? And she said, okay. And he said, I downloaded the Audible app. And Audible is a way for you to be able to listen to books, like through your headphones. He said, I downloaded the Audible app, and I started listening to the Bible. I've listened to the whole Bible from, from, from Old Testament to New Testament. And he says, and uh, I got to the New Testament and I found it really interesting. He says, make sure he comes with you next time because I want to talk to him. Hey. Now, I'm telling you right now, that was set up because of the situation we were put in last year. That was set up because of a difficulty that we, we didn't see coming. We just fell into that, as James said. It was, we fall into diverse temptations. We fell into this trial of life, and we didn't understand it. But now here we are looking back on it, and we see all the way God has used that to connect with people and administer to people. We've been able to use it to lead people to the Lord and to give people hope and encouragement. I'm not trying to brag on myself. What I'm trying to use is myself as an example to help you see you've got some stuff you can use. God has put you in a predicament and in a situation. He wants to use it as a platform for His power and for His glory and to magnify His goodness in your life. And we have been squandering it away. But God says, let them see, let them see how I've worked in your life. Talk about me. Brag on me. So trials enable us to help others. D, trials encourage us to trust God. Trials will give us an opportunity, an opportunity to turn our trouble into trust. We can trust Him. Listen, your trials, your trials may have taken you off guard. They didn't take Him off guard. You may not have seen it coming, but He knew it was coming. He is always in control, and if He is always in control, that means He can always be trusted. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. He's not pacing the floor, rubbing his hands, trying to figure things out. No, he's seated firmly on his throne, fully in control. He is trustworthy. You can trust him. And so now, this trust, though, is a two-way street. I didn't see this until recently. We can trust God with our troubles, but God is trusting us with our trouble. Now, let let me explain it. We can trust him with our trouble, but he's also trusting us with our trouble. In other words, what you're going through, he's trusting you with it. He's trusting you with whatever's coming into your life. And he wants you to use it as an opportunity. Have you, I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, that God is trusting you with what's on your plate right now. He's trusting you with it. He trusts you with your struggle. He's trusting you with your problem. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. He says, Who is among you that feareth the Lord? That obeyeth the voice of the servant, that walketh in darkness. Anybody ever walked through some darkness before? He says, walketh in darkness and hath no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. 
Listen, I think of Job again. Job had no idea what was taking place behind the scenes. Satan was accusing Job's character. He's saying, God, the only reason why he's worshiping you is because Job's got it easy. He's got everything he wants, man. He's got an easy life. But I guarantee you, you take all that away from him, he will turn against you. So the devil is making accusations against Job. But look what happens in Job chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and issueth evil? What is God doing here? God saying, I know the character of Job. I know his faith. I know what he's made out of. He can handle this. In other words, God trusted Job with this. And after Job lost everything, he had lost his children, lost his wealth, lost his health. And all he was left with was some terrible friends and a nagging wife. (laughs) And they're accusing him of being a sinful man. And his wife tells him, just curse God and die. I like what what Job says to her in response in Job chapter 2 verse 10. He said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. Now, men, I want you to try that at home. When your wife is saying something crazy, I want you to stop her and say, listen, you're, you're talking like a foolish woman right now. I want, I want to see how y'all recover. All right, so he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. He says, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? That, that word evil means adversity. Adversity. And Job's friends began to accuse him of doing wrong, and he And that he was being punished for what he did. And in Job chapter 13, verse 15, Job simply says, Hey, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will maintain my own ways before him. I have learned that I may not always know why I'm going through what I'm going through. I've said I don't know. I've said I wonder. What if? I've said all those things. And in those moments where I don't know what we have to do, is go back to what we do know. We have to depend on what we do trust. And I like what Job does. Job was asked a hundred times, Job, is it because of this? Job, is it because of that? Job, is it because you're a sinful man? And Job just kept saying, I'm not a sinful man, I'm a righteous man. I don't know. I don't know. He kept saying, I don't know. And then in Job chapter 19, verse 25 and 26, he defaults to what he does know. He says, I may not know a whole lot of other stuff, but this is what he says I do know. In verse 25 and 26, he says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. What Job was doing, he's saying, I don't know all the answers, but here's what I do know. I know my Redeemer lives. I know he's worthy to be praised. I know that he's worthy to be adored. I know that he is mighty. I know that no matter what happens to me, there's going to be a day where I see God. And so whether I stay or if I go, I'm a winner either way. He says, hey, I don't know a whole lot, but I know my Redeemer lives. And so we have to be careful on how we respond in trials and make sure that we default to trust and not worry. God, I don't know why, so I'm just going to trust what I do know. I trust you. I trust that you're good. In Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews talks about an anchor of the soul. And this anchor he's speaking about is is Jesus. He says there's an anchor for your soul. 
I don't know, has anybody ever been in some deep, troubled waters in their life? Listen, there's an anchor for your soul, but you have to be careful what you use for the anchor of your soul. You can't use your family as your anchor for your soul. You can't use your spouse. You can't use your children. You can't even use this church as an anchor for your soul. You can't trust yourself to be the anchor for the soul. There's only one thing you can trust, only one person you can trust to be an anchor for the soul, and that is Jesus. And in those moments when the storms are raging and it's out of control, what you need to do is drop anchor. You need to trust in that anchor. And you need to start claiming those promises. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, because I live, you shall live also. Jesus says, hey, I am with you always until the end of the world. He says, you can trust me. You can hold firm to this anchor. Trust God in the dark days as much as you trust God in the bright days. Why do we trust him on the dark days? Can I speak some hope into you right now? You can trust them in the dark days because those days won't stay, lo- won't stay dark very long. Sometimes we convince ourselves, man, this is, this is how it's going to be. This is how the rest of my life is just going to be this way. Scripture says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. I had a dear older lady at a church in Florida, and uh, she walked up to me one day. She says, Andrew, do you know what my favorite verse is? I says, no, ma'am. She says, my favorite verse is, and it came to pass. <laughs> I said, I like that. Listen, and it's not here to stay. You can trust him. So we see the purpose of our trials. Now I want to real quickly hit on the, the product of your trials. What is this producing in our life? Look in verse 3. Verse 3. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience. The Greek word here means staying power. You have staying power. So every time you walk through a trial, you can choose joy. Because guess what? When you choose joy in this trial, the next one gets a little bit easier. Now, I'm not going to say it doesn't feel good. It, it, it doesn't feel good. Trials hurt sometimes. Trials are difficult sometimes. It doesn't mean it's not going to, it's going to feel any better. But what we, when you see God move in this situation, when you have staying power in this situation, the next time a trial comes, it just gets a little bit easier. There's just a little bit more grace for the fight. There's just a little bit more power in the fight because you have that staying power. Because what I learned over here in this trial, I can now apply to this trial. And if I stay firm, I can apply it to this trial. And so it just gets a little bit easier to keep hanging on as you go through trial after trial. The more grace for me to choose joy because of that staying power. Now, now staying power doesn't mean that you just simply just are passive. You just, Lord, just let it happen quick. Just let it go. I just want to just, no. The staying power is an active power. While I'm waiting, I'm serving God. While I'm waiting, I'm worshiping Him. While I'm waiting, I'm running the race. While I'm waiting, I will not faint. While I'm waiting, I am choosing joy. While I'm waiting, I am pursuing peace. While I'm waiting. See, it's an active pursuing of God in your patience. It's active staying power. He gives you that patience to endure the trial so that you can have it for the next one that comes. So A is patience. B, B is perfection. Look at verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I think I saw this is very interesting. The word here for perfection is the Greek word teleos. 
And teleos is the word that was used to describe the sacrifice for God. See, when an animal was prepared for God, it had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. It couldn't have any imperfections. It couldn't have any deformities. It had to be perfect in everything that it was. And so when that sacrifice got to that place of of full development, it was known to be teleos, perfect, complete. It was ready. Now, I saw that and I'm thinking, wow, this is what God is doing in us. He's working in us to make us perfect and complete. He's preparing us for something. What is He preparing us for? Well, Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God is saying, I want you to be a living sacrifice for me, and so I'm going to prepare you. You're going to be tilios, which means without fault, without blemish. I'm making, I'm creating something in you. God is making us complete. It is the work in, him that makes, uh, work in us that makes us whole. He brings in our life everything that we lack. Everything that you fall short with, God compensates. He brings into your life. He fixes everything that is broken. He writes everything that is wrong. He listen, He corrects everything that's at fault. Trials have been allowed in your life not to take things from you. God allows trials in your life so that He can add to you. Does that make sense? Tilios, perfect, complete. He's doing a work in you. This is why James could conclude at the end of verse 4. He says that you will be wanting nothing. Why? Because everything you lack, God provided. Whatever you couldn't bring to the table, He did. Tilios, He he completed it. Now lastly, a product of our trials. See, we have a promise. We have a promise. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So God is giving a promise to him. He says you'll have the crown of life. Now, crown of life uh, is not eternal life. He's not saying if you endure temptations and trials, you'll inherit salvation. We understand that salvation is a free gift of God, of anyone who trusts in Jesus. So this is not something you earn So this has to be something else. The crown of life is a reward for a life well lived. And so this crown of life, think of a a runner in the ancient Olympic Games. When that runner crossed the finish line and he completed his race and he won the race, they would put a crown upon his head. It was an acknowledgement for all of his accomplishments. So, So this is what the crown of life is. Jesus will acknowledge you with honor that you have lived your life well, that you have stayed the course, that you have finished strong. And this is this is a great encouragement for us. It's an encouragement for us. First of all, it's an encouragement for us that our salvation is not based on how we treat our trials. Because I'll be honest with you, I would have lost my salvation a long time ago. And so that, that knowing that our salvation is, is firmly in the hands of God, it, it helps encourage me to keep on going even when I might mess up sometimes. And it gives me safety and it gives me strength to stand in the midst of my temptations, in the midst of my trials. It gives me the ability to keep going when I want to give up. But this crown that he's talking about is an encouragement to us. To keep the course, to remain faithful. This is the same crown that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus is speaking to the church of Smyrna. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, 
that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So in both these cases, what's being described here, it's a recognition. It's a special honor, a reward. Now, I don't know. I don't know if this is symbolic or if this is a literal crown. I'll find out when I get there. I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be literal crowns in heaven or is this symbolic of of God just acknowledging. But I, I know one thing. When I reach the other side, when I stand face to face in glory with Jesus... I want to be able to look him in the eyes and I want him to re- say after me and look at me and say, Andrew, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to stand firm in the temptations and trials of life so that I can be honored by him and I can be rewarded by him. And he looks at me and he says, you did well, son. But look again, who is this crown rewarded to? Look at verse 12. He says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them. And right here I would think the Lord has promised it to them who endure temptation, endure trials. But he says here, he says, the Lord has promised it to them that love him. James says the crown of life is promised to those who love God. And this, this, this really... What this is helping me realize, and I hope it helps you realize too, what the trials in life are doing, it's testing our love for God. That's what trials are doing. Do you really love God like you say you do? Do you really love Him the way... Now look in James 1.3. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith... Worketh patience. So we say the crown is given to those who love God. In verse 3 it says it's trying of your faith. I think what James is doing is saying this. Your faith is directly connected to your love of God. If you have weak faith, you have weak love of God. If you have strong faith, you have strong love for God. They are connected. He says the trying of your faith is going to expose your love of God. If you have weak faith, then it's going to expose that you don't really love God the way that you say you do. And faith is not just saying Jesus is my Savior. Because you can, you, can, you can use God as a Savior and still not love Him. It's, it's more than saying God is my Master. Listen, you can bow to God as a slave and still not love Him. Love is bigger than that. Love, according to James, is the foundation of your faith. So when your faith is being tested, it is the love of, your God, the love of God that will be revealed. And God will reward those that love Him. So if you want to strengthen your faith, you have to strengthen your love for God. And you might be thinking, well, how do I strengthen my love for God? Well, how did you fall in love with your spouse? You spent time together, didn't you? you? You were vulnerable with each other. You had conversations. You learned about each other. You, you, you were honest with each other. Well, guess what? You want to strengthen your love for God? Spend some time with Him. Talk with Him. Be vulnerable with them. Hey, hey, go and talk about them to other people. Amen. Walk with God on a daily basis. I don't know about you, but when I stand face to face, I definitely want to hear, well done. Right. Well done. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you out there at Fairview in this room. I'm going to, I'm going to poll the room real quick. I'm going to poll the room. 
I'm not going to try to call anybody out. If you don't raise your hand, I'm not going to make you stand up, okay? I'm not going to embarrass nobody, okay? Fair warning, I'm not embarrassing nobody. But, but if, you would, if you in this room say, I love God, would you just raise your hand and say, I love God, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. Great, great, amen. Out there, Fairview, amen. Now, I want to ask you a follow-up question. Are you satisfied in Him? Now, don't raise your hand. But are you satisfied in Him? This is a totally different question. This is a different question. Because what I'm asking you in this question is this. If everything was stripped away, everything you love was taken, and all you were left with is God, would that be enough? Would you be satisfied? And really what that does is truly expose, do I really love God the way I say I do? Or is it God plus stuff? God plus family? God plus my children? God plus my spouse? But what if everything was taken away? Could you really say I'm still satisfied in Him? And so what James is saying is all that might be taken away one day. Would you still be able to stand firm in your faith and love of God? Because that's what's being tested. If everything you said about God is really true. And sometimes you're going to face some things in life that do not feel good. And you can be tempted to believe and feel that because this doesn't feel good, God's not good. Because we begin to base who God is off of our circumstances. And so if our circumstances aren't good, we say, well, God must not be good. Or we might say something like this. We might say, well, I guess God hates me because I'm going through this right now. And I guess God is angry at me. Or I guess God doesn't, is just going to leave me alone. He's tired of me. And here, here's what James is trying to tell you. He's trying to tell you this. It's okay. It's okay in the moment to say, God, this doesn't feel good. But I know you're good. <laughs> this don't feel good, God, but I know, I know you're good. And here's what's going to happen. You'll be able to come through this situation. If you stand firm, if you have that staying power, that patience, that endurance that will take you to the end, and you get to the end, you'll be able to turn around and look at what you just came through and say, God, I didn't see it in the moment. But now that I'm looking back on it, you are so good. I mean, that was just bathed in your goodness. It didn't feel good in the moment. But God, I see your fingerprints all over everything. And so God... Help me trust and believe that even when it don't feel good, that you're still good. I can't tell you the times I've been able to look back on my life and see God display his goodness all over a terrible situation. And in the moment, it didn't feel good. But now it's a landmark of my faith. I get to put down a flag and say, hey, I know I can make it through this because I made it through that. And I know God is good here. Because he was good there. It just keeps you going. It gives you that staying power and that perseverance. And I'm able to count it all joy. And I'm able to say, God, I'm ready to learn something new. I'm available. I don't know why, but teach me how. And so I have a little bit of an application on your uh, handout there. A life application from this message. We cannot let our circumstances shape the way we view God. We must let our God shape the way we view our circumstances. You might have heard it say, 
Quit telling God about how big your storm is and start telling the storm how big your God is. He's good. He can be trusted. Count it all joy. He's good when it's not good. You can learn something. Amen.